Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another restful episode of True Scary Stories to Help You Fall Asleep. Today, we are going to be reading True Creepy Encounter Stories. I hope you enjoy them. So, without further ado, lay back, relax, and enjoy these true scary stories. Good day, everyone. This is something that happened this past Friday while I was babysitting. For a little bit of context, I'm a 21-year-old female, a college student, and have been babysitting since I was 14. I'm not an expert on literally anything. However, over the years, I have learned caution and resilience. At age 15, I took babysitting classes at our youth center, as well as a female self-defense course. So I babysit at least once a month for this one family. I like them because they pay me more than my usual hourly rate. They have a big house with internet that I can use to do homework, and the two kids are surprisingly well-behaved and compliant. So the two parents have like a monthly ritual of going out around 5 p.m. and returning a little after 2 a.m. I'm always offered to sleep in the guest bedroom and stay until morning. I usually just stay awake and use their satellite TV, and then leave when they come back. The house is in a nice neighborhood without a whole lot of neighbors. Very quiet. Also, their house is armed with an alarm system that I have the code to, and can arm and disarm it through my phone. That'll be relevant in a little while. So I always take them for pizza at this place that has like an arcade. I do this so that they tire themselves out and go to bed early. Plus, the little girl that I babysit is also on a mission to win a family of stuffed animals from the prize store, so I'd be the world's worst babysitter if I didn't guide her in that pursuit. If anyone may be wondering, for whatever reason, after Friday night, she only needs the daddy stuffed animal before her collection is complete. Go, girl. Anyways, I'm rambling. I was sitting at a table watching them play in a ball pit, while also texting on my phone. This couple came over and sat at the same table as me. It was a long table with parents scattered here and there, so this wasn't alarming. The couple looked normal enough. Both were probably in their mid-twenties, possibly a little older. They talked to each other, but then the guy asked me, Are you the one babysitting Dr. So-and-so's kids? So the parents of these children are both doctors, and the specific region that we live in, this would be common enough information, but I still chose to answer their question with an irrelevant statement. I wonder what they used to make the pizza here. Yeah, I know. I'm a master of deception. I deserve an Oscar for my performance. However, they seemed to see right through my clever ruse. They started making weird comments. They talked about the kids' parents. They commented on the daughter and how they wondered if she would look as pretty as their mom. Okay, dudes. I don't know if that was intended to be creepy, but I'm just going to be safe and pretend that it was. Then the woman says to me, and I quote, Do they really let you dress like that while watching their kids? She motioned with her eyes towards my t-shirt, which was admittedly a little tight, though aside from a little bit of bosom crack, not revealing. I have a thin frame and a large chest. It's 90 degrees in the region of the U.S. right now, so it's not like I can wear a hoodie. 
I saw that as my cue to go and get the kiddos to bring them to get their pizzas so that we could bounce. After some very thought-provoking and philosophical debating, they both got their pizzas and decided to head back over to the house. So, fast forward a few hours. Both kids were bathed and put to sleep. I delivered a heartwarming rendition of Goodnight Moon and read a very spooky chapter of The Werewolf of Fever Swamp and tucked them into dreamland. It was around 9 p.m. I was caught up on homework and was just watching TV when I heard some movement on the porch. I didn't think much of it at first, but the doorknob started rattling violently. I initially started moving towards the front door to see who it was, but miraculously, I remembered that it was a little at night. I was home alone with two kids, and I very much wanted to live. I turned around to grab my purse, which is where I keep my taser. As I'm moving, the back door starts rattling as well and was accompanied by some banging noises. That's when I remembered that I hadn't enabled the alarm system after returning. Now, if this was a horror movie scenario, of course the alarm wouldn't have worked, and the intruders would have made their way inside. I hate to disappoint if you were expecting something more exciting, but I enabled it again, quite easily with no incident. I ran upstairs and grabbed the two kids. I put them in their parents' room in the walk-in closet. I still hate that I scared them. When I gathered them up, I gave no context as to what was going on. I didn't want to tell them that someone was trying to break into the house. But in the process, the fear of not knowing seemed to be worse. I instructed them to stay in there and stay quiet, and only to open the door if they hear me talking to them. I then locked the bedroom door, which is the only door in the upstairs floor that locks. I sat there with my taser out and hit the panic button on the phone app. Several minutes went by. Then I got the notification through the app that the alarm system was disabled. I planned on calling 911, even though the panic button already took care of that. But I found it more beneficial to arm it back, then disarm it again. So, I armed it again. Then it disarmed once again. So, I armed it once again. By this time, I could hear what sounded like two sets of footsteps walking up the stairs. Good job, girl. You locked yourself inside with two potential assailants. I was holding it together for the sake of the kids, but not too deep inside, I was scared to death. When I heard the footsteps get near the door and saw the knob twisting, I took a deep breath and pulled the trigger on my taser, just to let them know that I was armed, though it realistically wouldn't do much good. I informed them through the door that the alarm was triggered and police were on their way. Thankfully, I was greeted by a familiar voice. They called my name and said, It's Dr his name. You're safe. I opened the door and ran into their arms and started sobbing. I hadn't realized truly until it was over just how scared I really was. The kids came out without me giving the okay, but their parents were there, so I'll let it slide. When I enabled the alarm on my phone, they both got the notification from the place that they were at. With the app, you have the option to view the porch cameras as well. When they got the notification that the panic button was activated, They saw through the camera that there were people on each side of the house, one man and one woman. When the alarm kept disarming, that was them trying to get into the house. A police report was filed by them and I gave a statement mentioning the two weirdos I met earlier in the day, even though there was really no evidence that would directly point to them. Camera footage didn't give any positive face IDs either. So yeah, I was scared. I'm getting over it now. I'm just grateful that the couple that I was babysitting for were close enough to make it to me. I hate to say it, but I find the police response time to be terrible. 
I'm currently back in my apartment an hour away. I checked in once to see how the kids were doing and they're holding up fine. I'm just glad that they had proper protection in their home and that this didn't end up to be any worse. This happened only three weeks ago. I've thought about it often and I know without a doubt that me and my patient were almost prey to a predator. I work for my state. I work with people with substance abuse disorder, the mentally ill, and to a lesser degree, those with slight developmental delays. My role with the developmentally delayed is similar to a lower ranked social worker. One thing I have to verify is that the participant is able to achieve their own personal goals set for that year, similar to an IEP in public schools. One of my patients has a goal to walk and or hike at least one mile three times a week. When I made my visit to her home, walking and hiking was what I need to see her achieve. So she took us both on a walking slash slight hiking trail nearby. Her and I are actually similar age, our 40s. As we were walking on the trail, we got to a point that was much more isolated. We were no longer walking the trail that loops around a neighborhood pond with a lot of people, but we were on a trail that took us through the woods and a cotton field. Her and I were walking and talking when she suddenly stopped walking. I looked at her, and just as she went to say, I have a bad feeling, I had an overwhelming feeling myself that someone was watching us. Due to her developmental delays, I felt more concerned for her welfare than my own. It's hard to explain, but I don't feel fear. I felt a feeling of protecting her. I looked behind us because I heard the sound of leaves crunching, and sure enough, a guy, who looked to be in his 30s, is suddenly coming out of the woods, and he's slowly creeping up towards us. There was no one else around, so for this guy to magically come out of the woods and creep up on us... I knew whatever he wanted was nefarious. I told her to continue walking, giving her a head start. I don't know why I even did this, but I just completely turned myself around, stopped, and I looked straight at him. I just stared. I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. But as soon as we locked eyes, it was as if he realized, now they know I'm back here, because he froze and stopped walking towards us. I kept staring at him. Then I started to walk back towards my patient, so he understood that my eyes were on him. Then as I walked backwards, I looked over to see my patient, looked back at him, and he disappeared as fast as he came, back into the woods. If he were just wanting to walk this nature trail, why did he stop as soon as I turned around and stared? Why wouldn't he just continue on his walk and pass us? This guy was clearly waiting and watching for a woman or women to go down this isolated trail. For him to come out of the woods when he did, it was clear to me that he was out hiding and stalking. I will forever be convinced that my patient's bad feeling and my feeling of being watched saved one or both of us from whatever that man had planned. I grew up in the late 90s slash early 2000s. I spent a lot of time outside and I loved all animals, including bugs, frogs, and lizards. 
My little brother played a lot of sports, so on weekends I was always dragged to his games, and after school I often had to attend his practices. It was soccer season, and I had to go with my mom to one of my brother's soccer practices after school on this day. I was probably eight or nine at the time, and for context, I'm also a female. It was a local park surrounded by some wilderness and some hiking trails. I liked this park because off to the side of the soccer fields was a creek with frogs and stuff. I'd love to go over there and look at them and try to catch them. It was evening time and the sun was setting, but there was still plenty of light left. I told my mom that I was going to go down to the creek to catch frogs. It was down the hill slightly from the fields and obscured by some bushes and shrubs, but there was a clear dirt trail that ran along the side of the creek. So I scurried on down there and was carefully studying the creek looking for frogs, when suddenly a man's voice startles me. What you looking for? I look up and see a middle-aged man dressed in the typical office-slash-business wear, button-up shirt, slacks, and dress shoes. He was standing on the trail, blocking my route back up to the soccer fields, looking at me and smiling. I was shy and cautious as a child, so I just looked at the man and didn't reply at first. My spidey senses were already tingling, and I remember feeling nervous and uneasy. I sometimes saw hikers on the trail by the creek but his outfit and appearance told me that this wasn't a hiker. Then he asked me, Are you looking for butterflies? I saw some down there. As he points further down the trail, away from the soccer fields. I just said no and started looking around at what my options were. I felt the need to get out of there, fast. But as I mentioned, he was standing on the trail which was my route back to the fields. There were thick bushes on the hillside between the trail and where the fields were. I started making my way up the rocks to the side of the creek towards the trail, further down from where he stood, and to my alarm, he started moving down the trail towards me. Need some help, he said. I was now starting to panic. Although nothing had happened and he seemed friendly, it just felt wrong to me. I just got stranger danger vibes. I remember feeling a burst of adrenaline and fear. I shouted no and booked it up the rocks across the trail, and crashed my way through the brushes towards the soccer fields. I remember the branches scratching me, but I didn't care. I literally scrambled my way through them till I came up to the fields and then sprinted over to where my mom was watching my brother's practice. I probably looked like crap, so she of course asked what the heck happened, and I told her. I felt like she thought I was just being paranoid though. I'll never know if this guy posed a real threat or not. He could have been just getting some fresh air on his way home from work. Who knows? I just know it felt creepy at the time. You were all enormously supportive of my last Library Creeper post. Working with the public lends itself to endless strange encounters, so I'll keep posting as they roll in. We were five minutes from closing the library tonight. Mondays are very slow in the summer, so at five minutes to close, we are basically just waiting for the clock to tick. All tasks are complete. You may get one or two stragglers in to pick up a hold, but not often. It's generally very quiet. Not tonight. This man walks in and I say, we're just closing up. Can I help you? He hollers from the entryway. I'm looking for a book. 
Okay. If you come to the desk, I can help you. He rushes over and says, You close at 11, right? I've worked here for over six years. We have never closed at 11. I tell him no and ask again if I can assist him. By this time, my other two co-workers are up front with me asking what's going on and who's shouting. He just continues to stare at me like I have multiple heads. I ask again, can I help you? He says he needs the phone and reaches for my desk phone. Nope. I move it away and tell him that he can use the public access phone in the lobby. But at this point, he only has about three minutes to do so. He again reiterated that he knows that we close at 11. I again tell him absolutely not. We close at 8. By now, we were all thinking that this guy is going to be a hassle to evacuate from the building at 8. My coworker is waiting near the lobby asking what she should do. Since I'm the person in charge, it's up to me to decide how to handle this situation. No pressure. I told her I'll go with you and let's check the restrooms. Close down the bookstore and start shutting off the entryway and lobby lights. My other coworker, I direct to stay near the phone. This guy is just odd, and if things go south, we need help in a hurry. We're all feeling edgy now. She and I lock up and turn off lights. He, meanwhile, is scrolling through the public phone call log. Not making a call at all. It's just a random listing of numbers, so I don't know what he expects to find there. I tell him it's time to wrap things up and we need to close. He begins to head back into the library. Oh no. I'm pregnant and exhausted and ready to go home. He is not going back into the library. As loudly and as assertively as I can say, I say, We're closed and you need to leave now. He again tells me that we close at 11. I don't know if this man is on drugs or simply confused, but he needs to exit. My coworker backs me up and says he needs to leave or we can call the police. He finally relents and heads out the door. We pull everything closed after him and ensure it's all locked. I look at my coworkers and say, No one leaves until he leaves the parking lot. They both readily agree. The last thing we need is him harassing us off the premises too. We wait and wait a good 10 minutes until he finally drives away. I don't know what this man's deal was, but I hope that he won't become a regular library creeper. So this happened, I want to say, around the year 2012 or 2013. Me and my mom lived just ourselves in my grandmother's old house. After she had died in 2009, it was just us. My mom had the habit of leaving the house and visiting family really often, since my entire family lived in the same town. Sometimes I would go with her, and sometimes I would just stay at home and play games on the PC. One night in particular that I was home by myself, I can't remember if I was listening to music or on the game, but it was almost 11 at night and I had gotten a knock at the door. At the time, we had four dogs that lived in our house, and all of them started going insane barking. This wasn't abnormal, as they would bark at the neighbors if they saw them out of our living room window getting out of their car across the street, or heard anyone within a five-mile radius talking. My bedroom happened to be at the front of the house, with a window directly facing the porch and the door. Because of that, I was able to take a slight look to see who it was, and it wasn't someone I'd seen before. My mom never had people come by the house often, but there have been a few that came over to talk or to see if she was home. Not usually super late, but I ran with it and didn't think twice about it. 
I thought it was just one of her co-workers coming by to see if she was home. I opened the door and I was greeted with a guy that I'd say was in his early 40s, wearing a brown work jacket and light blue jeans. So he definitely looked the part of someone who was from the factory. I opened the door to see what he wanted, and he said something along the lines of, hey, how's it going? And some small stuff here and there. It's hard to recall too much of the small talk, but he did ask something like, is anyone else around or... That might not be entirely what he said, but it did skate around those lines. I was still under the impression at the time that he was a guy that my mom knew from work. So I told him that, yeah, right now I'm the only one here. My mom went to my cousin's house, but she should be back soon. He said some other things, like his name, I think. And he said that he had recently moved here from Indiana and he was going around to each neighbor's house saying hi and introducing himself. I was like, yeah, around here that could get you shot since it's not normal to show up to someone's house to introduce yourself, let alone this late at night. He told me, yeah, where I'm from in Indiana, it's normal for people to do that. He says his goodbyes and left. The car that had been running and sitting outside the driveway on the road looked like a decently new car so I didn't think much of it at the time. I figured I wouldn't really have anything that the guy couldn't already afford, so as far as being a burglar, I was figured that I was in the clear. My mom got home about 30 minutes to an hour later, and I told her about it. It wasn't really until her reaction to what happened that it really sank in. I'd never seen that guy again after the encounter, and I wasn't sure what he was after. My mom told me that I was lucky that maybe the guy didn't barge in because all four dogs were right there with me, each of them pretty protective. They all kept an eye on this guy as we talked. Maybe he was telling the truth, and it was just a harmless encounter out of the ordinary. But I still think about it from time to time. Like, what exactly was he doing here? Last November, my brother was visiting us from Dundee with his three-year-old son. Since my brother had moved from Glasgow, we didn't get to see him or his family too often, so we cherished it any time we got to see them. His wife, unfortunately, could not travel down due to work, and only a day into his visit, he was called back to himself for an emergency. His nephew wanted to stay as we had bought him two tickets to the football the day after, so I agreed to take him back to his dad in Dundee after the game. The only train I could get was a fairly late one, and it was therefore the last one of the day. So I took my nephew to the football game and headed straight to the station afterwards. The train was fairly busy, but I had booked us two seats. Just as we were about to board the train, the man standing next to me made an odd comment. Like sardines, aren't they? I hate sardines, he said. I found this fairly odd and I just laughed it off awkwardly. I've never been good at making conversation with strangers and always feel uneasy when one approaches me. As we made our way to our seats, I noticed an old couple sitting in them. I told them that it was our seats, but they were fairly rude and told me that old people shouldn't be made to stand for a journey. I always hate confrontation, especially in public, so I just left. There were no two seats together anywhere on the train, so me and my nephew were forced to stand for about an hour until many people on the train finally got off when it stopped in Perth. Me and my nephew sat down and I mistakenly fell asleep 
as I was so tired after a fairly long day and standing for an hour on the train. As my nephew was only three, he obviously fell asleep as well. I awoke, just as the last passengers were getting off at Dundee. I quickly jumped up and tried to get my nephew off the train as quickly as possible, but he was too slow and I had to stay on the train with him, meaning we missed the stop. As the train was delayed slightly, it was now going straight to Aberdeen, which was about another hour or so away. I sat down and tried to phone anyone I knew, but I didn't have any signal. I began to panic, as I knew that there would be no return trains from Aberdeen at this time of night, likely meaning I would have to stay the night there in a hotel. I tried to compose myself and look about the train to see if there was anyone who could maybe help me. My carriage had more or less cleared out by this point, and there were only three other people left. An older woman sleeping a few rows in front of me, a young man reading a book at the opposite side, and the third man behind me. I told my nephew to go back to sleep and started trying to plan what I would do when we got to Aberdeen. As my phone had no signal, this was obviously fairly difficult, and I thought I should ask the man behind me for any help. I looked in the window's reflection at him and noticed it was the same man who made the sardine comment earlier. He was a middle-aged man, fairly average build and height, and there was nothing to suggest that he was in any way dangerous, except one thing. He was staring right at me. I looked away for a minute, thinking maybe he was just looking about the train as I did only a moment ago. But when I looked again, he was still staring. His stare didn't seem to break until he got up to presumably go to the toilet. I debated switching to another carriage, but before I could gather my stuff and wake my nephew, he returned. Only this time, he sat in a different seat, facing me directly. A few uneasy minutes before he made his first comment, Someone sleepy, he said, nodding to my nephew. I laughed awkwardly and put my earphones in to avoid talking to him, even though my phone had just died. Must be some set of earphones if they can listen to music while your phone's dead, he said. My heart dropped. I'm only kidding you on, he said, but I now had no excuse to avoid conversation with him. So are you going home or visiting someone, he asked. I made the mistake of telling him what had happened and that I had missed my stop. That's quite a situation. You won't get a train back at this time. I nodded and said, I'll just find a hotel for the night. He then approached my seat and sat across from me. Hotels will all be booked out. And even if they aren't, they'll charge you a fortune. I've got a place not too far from the station. You can stay there for the night and get the train in the morning. I'll stay out of the way of you and your son. Don't worry. I explained to the man that it was not my son and that I was happy to cough up the money for a hotel, and I tried to stay polite by saying that I didn't want to be a nuisance for him, even though I really just wanted to tell him to leave me alone. Oh, believe me, you won't be any nuisance to me, he said in an overly friendly tone. I was now feeling extremely unnerved, but still tried my best to talk myself out of the situation. This conversation carried on for another ten minutes or so, and he was increasingly insistent that I stayed with him, I didn't have any idea what to do. I felt completely helpless. I told him that I needed the toilet in an effort to get away from the carriage. This is when he grabbed my wrist below the table. You're not going anywhere, he said in a hushed tone. You're staying with me. I'll keep you safe, he said in an extremely chilling voice. I couldn't even bring myself to scream out in the situation. The only other passengers on the carriage were at the opposite end and I was terrified that if I screamed, 
the man would hurt me or my nephew. He wouldn't let go of my wrist and repeatedly began saying, just act natural. The remaining part of the journey seemed to last a lifetime, and I knew, even then and there, that there was no light at the end of this tunnel, as this man would not let me go. The train finally reached Aberdeen, and the man told me to wake my nephew, not alarm him, and to tell him that we're staying at this nice man's house for the evening. He held my hand as we got off the train, and my worst feelings were coming true, as I knew what would happen when this man got us back to the house. All of a sudden, I was knocked to the floor in a heap of bodies. The police had tackled the man and were arresting him. As I got to my feet, I grabbed my nephew's hand and ran only a couple of yards before completely breaking down. The police comforted me and told me that the young man who was reading his book at the other side of the carriage had noticed what was going on and sent a text to the British Transport Police, whose number is all over the walls of the train on posters. It took me a couple of minutes to process everything, but I managed to gain enough composure to thank the police and express my gratitude towards the man who had sent the text. I only managed to say a few words to him, but I will forever be grateful to him, as he saved me from what would have been a night of terror, and very possibly saved me and my nephew's life. The police very kindly took me and my nephew back to Dundee, where my brother and his wife were extremely relieved to see us. It is now some time since the incident, but it's had a lasting effect on me, and I always make sure that when I'm traveling late at night, that I am accompanied by someone, and never run the risk of missing my stop ever again. I recently had a bone-chilling experience that I can't shake off, and I thought this would be the perfect place to share it. Brace yourselves for a spine-tingling tale straight out of a horror movie. Last weekend, a group of friends and I decided to go on a camping trip deep in the woods. We had heard rumors about an old dilapidated cabin tucked away in a remote part of the forest. Intrigued by the eerie stories surrounding it, we couldn't resist the temptation to explore it firsthand. As we made our way through the dense vegetation... The atmosphere grew progressively unsettling. The air turned still, and an inexplicable feeling of being watched descended upon us. Eventually, we stumbled upon the cabin, and it was as creepy as described. A decaying structure covered in overgrown vines, with broken windows and a door hanging off its hinges. Nervously, we pushed open the creaking door, revealing a dark, musty interior. The flickering beams of our flashlights barely illuminated the room, casting eerie shadows on the peeling wallpaper. We cautiously stepped inside, our hearts pounding. That's when we heard it. A faint whisper, almost indistinguishable. The hair on the back of our necks stood on end as the whispering grew louder, seemingly coming from all directions. It was as if the cabin itself was alive with malevolent secrets. Terrified, we decided to leave but our path was suddenly obstructed by a figure blocking the door. It was a man, his features obscured by shadows, and he appeared disheveled and sinister. His eyes gleamed with an unsettling intensity, and we froze in fear. The man's lips curled into a twisted smile as he spoke in a low, gravelly voice. He muttered something about the cabin being his sanctuary and warned us to never return. We stumbled over each other, desperate to escape, 
and eventually managed to break free, sprinting back through the woods in sheer terror. To this day, I can't shake off the feeling that there was something truly malevolent about that encounter. What was that cabin hiding? Who was that mysterious man? I have so many unanswered questions that continue to haunt me. Have any of you ever experienced a similar bone-chilling encounter in the depths of the unknown? Share your creepy tales and theories, and let's unravel the mysteries together. Just for some background information, I was 17, and my boyfriend was 19 when this happened. I am now a 23-year-old female, and this whole experience still haunts my boyfriend and I. Back then, me and my boyfriend's relationship was not accepted by anyone in either of our families due to the two-year age gap, although we had met when he was only 17. This being said, him and I often would sneak out in the middle of the night to see each other, on this particular night, my boyfriend and I decided that we would go run to get food and then eat at the park. Everything was going good. We got McDonald's and then parked and ate. Once we were done eating, me and my boyfriend chose to walk around for a bit. We sat on the swings for an hour talking and enjoying each other's company. After a while, we noticed lights coming from further into the park's field. We got up to get a closer look, but when whoever was there saw us stand... The flashlight turned off and they ducked into the woods. Me and my boyfriend passed it off as two stupid teens, just like ourselves, sneaking around at a park around 2am not wanting to get caught. We carried on with our night talking until we saw the lights again, this time closer. We called out and got no reply back, but again, the person turned off their flashlight and ducked down where we couldn't see them. I was beginning to freak out as my boyfriend was getting annoyed, thinking it was a kid trying to prank us by scaring the crap out of us. We got up to check around the area, stupid I know, and saw that whoever was there must have left. We went to the spot where we saw the person lay down, and there was an imprint of a body there. Whoever was there was taller, maybe around six foot two. I convinced my boyfriend to take me home after that, but as we were walking to his car, we heard footsteps a few feet behind us. We turned around and saw the light again. Me and my boyfriend then booked it to the car and sped off. We were able to get a slight glimpse of the person as we ran off. And what's more chilling to me is he was indeed not a teenager. He was an elderly man with a bald head and a white beard. We told the authorities the day after... This happened maybe a year or two ago. I can't remember exactly. I was on my way back from university and passed through the shopping center as I needed to make some purchases. Some background about me is that I am a very paranoid individual. I tend to look around a lot and keep an eye out for creepy behavior. I noticed that this very tall man who was dressed in all black with headphones on walking towards the same flight of stairs as me, and I immediately stopped before we collided as he was walking incredibly fast and with a lot of force. I glanced up and we made eye contact for a second, and I can't remember details, but he just did not seem friendly. I quickly made my way down the other flight of stairs. There were a couple of stairs. It was a weird building. 
and immediately he was right behind me and I could sense his presence. Or perhaps it was because he was incredibly tall. Even if I wasn't considered short, he was tall. It was if the small glance was an invite into occupying my personal space. I made a beeline to what us UK folks would call the meal deal section. I guess in this moment I felt it was a safe place due to the open space, and I saw a woman in the counter. As soon as I stopped, he stood right behind me heavily breathing and only centimeters away. I didn't know what to do, aside from making sure that I was near members of the public, and I just stood still like a statue and stared at the floor, refusing to make eye contact and give him attention. A few seconds passed and he let out a villainous laugh. It was so creepy. Then he walked off again. Worst part was, I told a member of staff and I was pretty shaken up. She said she would tell someone, and before I could give a description, she just walked off. Didn't even ask who it was, even though it was busy and could have been anyone. I don't know if anyone finds this creepy, but in that moment, I felt so small and scared. I work a graveyard shift as a security guard for a recycling yard. I can't say the company for obvious reasons, but I've been on this site for about two weeks, this being the second week. Basically, every hour I make rounds across a giant recycling yard covered in various precious metals that are broken down and sold. During my shift, I scan various checkpoints and ensure nobody besides me is in the yard or facility. One of my other tasks is to go through some busy-slash-bushy terrain and over a set of train tracks to take a photo of a warehouse far across. This is to ensure that it's safe and clear. I have to use a flashlight with 2K lumens so I can see my way through pretty much the entire yard. Well, just an hour and a half ago on my round, I went through the grass and over the train tracks. I took the picture of the warehouse and submitted it. All of a sudden, I get this intense feeling that I'm being watched. The hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I freeze. My flashlight is still on and pointing at the warehouse. I slowly turn around and point my flashlight behind me. I kid you not. About 10 yards away, I see a skinny, old, wrinkled white man with a large white beard sitting on a chair. He was looking directly at me. He had dirty jean overalls and what I think was a western-style cowboy fedora on. He was bare skin under the overalls. Now I'm a 6-foot, 220-pound man, but I screamed at a pitch that was embarrassing, honestly. I accidentally dropped my flashlight out of shock. Mind you, there are thin, tiny metal shards literally everywhere on the ground. I can't see a thing now as the flashlight is facing away from my sight. All I hear is quick pace shuffling slash clanging of metal from footsteps quickly running towards me. Once the metal-crunching footsteps are within maybe five feet of me, I hear them quickly veer to the left and past me. Within three to four seconds, the metal clanging is gone, followed by the faraway sound of rustling bushes. I then grabbed my flashlight from the ground and pointed it to the sound. The old man was gone, past the bushes to who knows where. I was shaking from adrenaline and fear. I managed to catch my breath and called several emergency contacts. When they arrived, the old man was long gone. I believe that maybe he was just there to watch the active trains move across. I say this because the metal chair was facing the tracks. 
It's still there. I took a photo of it. More as a memento than anything else. This group doesn't allow photos, otherwise I would share it. I am now in the office, still terrified and alone. I have to finish my shift tonight, and tomorrow do another 11-hour graveyard. I won't quit as I need the money. I just wanted to get this off my chest. My roommate doesn't drive, so in order to get to work, she almost always gets a ride from her coworker. A couple of days ago, she's waiting outside our house, and her coworker seems to be running late. After waiting for a minute or two, a car pulls up, and the driver says that he's her Uber. My roommate says no, she didn't order an Uber. She's waiting for her coworker. The driver insists that her coworker ordered an Uber for her, and to go get in the car now, or she'll be late to work. My roommate calls her coworker to see if this is true, and her coworker says that she's just down the street and don't get in that car. The fake Uber driver then immediately drives off. I've heard plenty of stories of people encountering fake Uber drivers. What's incredibly creepy about this one to me, however, is every fake Uber story I've heard has involved someone waiting for a ride in a busy place. An airport, a bar, a club, etc., Places you would expect to have a lot of people waiting for rides. This happened right outside my house. Is this a common thing? Are people known to drive around neighborhoods looking for people who look like they're waiting for a ride? I used to work as a cashier at a local grocery store when I was a teenager, back in the 90s. I usually worked the closing shift on Fridays and Saturdays. There was a rough-looking old man that would often come in to purchase a few beers. He was obsessed with Nostradamus and claimed that he was able to predict the future and that he knew when the world was going to end. Normally, I ignored him, but one night when I heard him talking to a cashier a few lanes down, I snickered to myself and said, What a whack job. I don't know how it happened, but suddenly that man was standing right in front of me with this creepy, intense stare. He simply said, you're going to die tonight in a car crash. And then he turned and walked out of the store. I don't know what it was about what he said, but it freaked me out. I called my mom crying, and she offered to come pick me up and drive me home after my shift. She said he was just a crazy guy and pay it no mind. I never saw the guy come in again. Obviously, I did not die in a car crash that night, but since then, I've been in seven car accidents. None of them were caused by me. The most severe one happened in my 20s. I was T-boned in an intersection by a drunk driver. The car flipped a few times and landed upside down. The friend I was with died. I had to be cut out of the car. I remember coming to as the paramedics pulled me from the vehicle. I was surrounded by shattered glass and so much blood. I thought I was dying. I almost did die. When my mom got the call, she thought I was dead. It's honestly a miracle I survived with only minor injuries. The words of that guy still definitely haunt me. Okay, so this happened almost a year ago. 
it's something that still gives me a charming amount of PTSD. I'm currently on anxiety medication for it, even though I have all the facts now. So I grew up in a small town. Just for a little bit of context, I was one of three children. I hated my stepdad, and I hated living in my hometown. I was determined to get out of there from a young age. So at age 15, I started working at one of the two local pizza places. By age 16, I was able to afford a car, albeit a beat-up one, but it allowed me to get on the road and make deliveries, which meant more money. So I had previously been robbed during a pizza delivery at a Super Bowl party once. I was held at knife point and had to forfeit all of my pizza as well as my cash. This oddly enough didn't bug me all that much. I don't know why. To this day, I barely ever think about it. But after this, I took to carrying a can of pepper spray. So I'll move on now to the incident. It was late at night, almost closing time, which is 1am. We had gotten a call to deliver three pizzas over to the next town over, which is a place that is out of our delivery range but sometimes there were circumstances that would allow us to. So let me explain the circumstances. Out of all of our delivery drivers, as well as the assistant manager at the time, there were a few that were peddling drugs. A customer would have to ask for a very specific order, specific sizes, specific toppings, and all in a certain order, no exceptions. So it was service policy for one of those specific drivers to make this delivery. I was never one of them, but on this night I was. I knew the trick of the trade, so when I saw the garlic bread bag on top of those specific pizza orders, I knew what I was doing. My assistant manager at the time even specifically instructed me to get the envelope from the customer and that he was sure that they were really big tippers, implying that I would get a service fee. I didn't want to conduct this. My hands were sort of tied. Desperation does that to a person. I just wanted to finish my shift so I took off with haste. It took me about 30 minutes to get to the location. It was in a very sparsely populated neighborhood. I went to the door and was greeted by a girl. I actually went to school with her, so that put me at ease a little bit. But she had changed. A lot. She was really pretty at one point and super outgoing. Now, she looks like she had developed a problem, which isn't incredibly uncommon for my town. She greeted me with a smile and accepted the pizzas. Then, out of the darkness, my arms were restrained behind my back, and a mere seconds later, I found the barrel of a forty-five revolver placed against my head. I instantly pleaded for my life, which seemed to only amuse them. The one with the gun demanded my wallet. I saw no point in arguing. I told him where he could find it. When I didn't have enough money in it, he demanded my work money. For a little context... Pizza places will typically tell you that their drivers don't carry more than $20 in change. This is a lie. This is mostly said so that it doesn't seem like we're carrying more money in case of a robbery situation. They knew this. The guy with the gun hit me in the face when I didn't produce the rest of the money. I usually leave this in my car, and he didn't accept my explanation. At that point, I was forced into the house. I screamed for help, but it accomplished absolutely nothing. The guy that was holding me threw me onto the couch, and the girl had closed the door. I explained to them that I wasn't aware of any policy, and if they had an issue, to please take it up with my assistant manager. I know how ridiculous that sounds. The guy with the gun, who was clearly under the influence, asked for one driver specifically. He asked why he didn't show up. I told him he was making other deliveries. It took everything in me not to cry at this time. After asking me some other questions that I couldn't answer... 
He put the gun to my head and pulled the hammer back. He then instructed me to call the other driver and have him present himself. I slowly complied, but instead of grabbing my phone, I grabbed my pepper spray. It felt stupid, but I saw a brief opportunity to get out of there. I elbowed the pistol out of my face and then sprayed the canister into his. I didn't take any chances. I sprayed him in the eyes, nose, and inside his mouth. The smell of that stuff still irritates my sinuses when I think about it, and I didn't ever get hit by it. Now, I've been in exactly three fights in my life before this, and I got my butt kicked all three times. But after spraying him, I hit him in the crotch and then slammed my fist down into his face. We wrestled for the pistol for a few seconds. I managed to get it on the floor and kicked it away. The other guy ran for it, but I beat him to it. Once I had the gun in my hand, he backed off and asked me to leave. I'm not a violent person in the slightest, but I'll admit that I still get joy out of the look on his face when he saw me holding the gun. I was on cloud nine for a few minutes, but once I got a healthy distance from the house, I pulled my car over and threw up. I then realized I was still holding the pistol. Upon further observation, I noticed that it only had one bullet in it, and it wasn't the chambered one. He could have pulled that trigger about four times before I got killed. When I got back to the restaurant, my manager and I got into a heated argument over not bringing his product back. I left. I wasn't having that after my night. When I got home, I told my stepdad about what had happened. He would actually later go on to find my manager about it. I don't know what happened, but when I got to work on Monday, I clocked in with no issues. I worked there for about another month. Then I decided I'd rather go struggle somewhere else. I thought it was time. I've now moved three hours away, have my own two-bedroom apartment, and I'm a culinary student. Through my program, I got a job working at, you guessed it, a pizza restaurant. But it's a gourmet pizza place, and it's something that allows me to take pride in my cooking. I've since bought a gun. I'm extremely still cautious about things, but life is looking up. A series of events started to happen when I was very young, around eight or nine. There's a chance the series were not connected. My feeling is, however, that it's all connected to one disturbed man. The first event was the phone started ringing almost every night between 2 and 2.30 a.m. Being a light sleeper, it woke me up constantly. My parents didn't ever appear to be bothered, probably because they were both drunk almost every night and passed out. Even when I did complain... They would just respond by saying it was probably the wrong number or something along those lines. It gave me a bad feeling every night hearing that loud, rattling landline phone ringing in the kitchen. One night, out of curiosity and frustration, when that phone rang, I decided to answer it. I heard some distant music in the background and heavy breathing. Now, being older, I can say it sounded like someone was sitting in a bar. Eventually, my parents changed the number. A few months after my parents changed the number... I was awakened again, but by a different sound. There's something creepy about hearing noises at night in an isolated country house. Every little sound can be heard. Every sound lingers. You can feel it. So, when I heard that car slowing down on the road in front of our house, it woke me with an unsettling feeling. I remember I could hear how the tires drove over the gravel in the driveway. My heart sank. I looked up at the wooden square clock in my bedroom 
It was 2.17 a.m. For reasons I cannot explain, I crawled out of my bed and walked out to the living room and glanced out the windows that hung above the driveway. I kept my distance from the window so he couldn't see me. I stared down at him through the sheer curtains. A man in a dark-collared Buick Century sat in a car facing my house. I couldn't make out distinctive facial features. I could see that he had light-colored hair with a bowl-cut style. If I had to guess now, I would say that he was in his early to mid-thirties. He just sat there. He stared up at my house in a trance. I don't even remember him moving. I waited to see what he was going to do. I was filled with fear. Around 15 minutes, he just sat there. Then he very slowly backs up and drives away. He kept his eyes on the house as he drove away. So maybe wrong house or he was drunk. Who knows? Then I think he visited again. It was a Sunday evening and I was in the front yard playing with my siblings. I still remember that dreaded feeling of returning to school the next day. A car pulls up and it stops in front of the mailbox down the road. Our house was on a little hill with a back road in front. The mailbox was down on the road. We stopped playing and watched down in curiosity. We knew it was Sunday and the mail doesn't come. Also, that was not the regular mailman's car. The man continued to sit there staring up at us. At one point, he reached his arm out the window and acting like he put something in the mailbox, then drove about 50 yards up the road and stopped and sat. So my siblings told me to go check the mailbox. I don't know why they told me to, maybe because I was the youngest. I walked down the little hill and opened the mailbox and nothing was in it. Suddenly, I hear tires screeching and the car was flying towards me in reverse. I screamed and we all ran into the house. He drove off very fast. We told our parents, and they thought we were confused and just minimized the situation. That night, while laying in bed, it clicked in my head. That man was the same man that came that one night. It was the same car that I remember. The blonde hairstyle. An unsettling feeling sank in. About a year after that, one day in school, I heard teachers telling kids to avoid a dark-colored Buick. They said a man was trying to kidnap kids at their mailbox after getting off the bus. I moved out of that town a few years later when my parents got divorced. Every once in a while he comes to my dreams, but I never heard anything about this man ever again. Thank you for listening to all of the stories in this video. I hope you enjoyed them. And I also hope that you enjoy the extra rain at the end. Have an excellent night. Get a good night's sleep. And I'll read to you in the next video. Goodbye, everybody.